0: Hey there, this is Emily.
1: And this is Rosa. Welcome to the Unchecked Podcast.
0: We are two women from two different countries who will talk about living life in their late 20s. Hey everyone, welcome back to our newest episode. Um, Today we're gonna talk about mental health. Um, So how we're gonna approach this is that we're gonna talk about um, how we actually looked at mental health growing up, how we learned to take care of ourselves and tackle mental health as an adult, um, thinking about what mental health discussions we've had with friends, if any, and also what resources we've tapped to in our own journeys. We're gonna end the podcast Uh, talking about how far we've come as a generation um, in mental health and why millennials are the most anxious generation of them all. So before we begin our conversations, we just want to note to our listeners um, that some of the topics we talk about might be triggering. Um, So just kind of a forewarning, um, if these topics or this topic topic in general uh, does affect you in some way or shape or form, just um, understand that there will be sensitive topics that we will discuss. So I can start first, um, approaching mental health growing up. I think for me as a child, um, I don't think I've ever really talked about mental health with my parents. It wasn't a thing, especially um, in an Asian family. Uh, A lot of problems that I've had as a child, in retrospect, um, I've suffered... I think, a bit from anxiety when I was a kid and also a semi-small form of OCD. I don't think I've ever talked about them with my parents. Um, It wasn't until later growing up that I realized I had these symptoms. um, And it wasn't until actually later during my adulthood um, that I realized that it was probably healthier for me to actually talk to a, a professional about it. All to say, I remember as a kid, um, the, the two most main things were actually anxiety and OCD. And how that really came and shaped into play was I remember I would, I'm the person that loves to study a lot, but also in the most inefficient way. So I remember in like eighth grade, I tried to memorize an entire book because I wanted to get 100 on all my grades. Like getting like A's on my report card was kind of my goal during that time. And I remember I started to get so anxious, I would actually break down if I didn't memorize word for word of a a book that I read. And then in terms of OCD, there has been times where I would repeat things over and over in my head until I got that like certain number. So for instance, I would look at a sink and then I would look back and forth from the sink to the wall, from the sink to the wall, like eight times before I actually looked away. Um, I think it just came a lot from the pressure from myself to succeed in school um, and socially. And I think that's like how it transformed itself. Um, Luckily, without any really professional help, it kind of went away when I was older. Um, Nowadays, I mean, I do suffer a little bit from anxiety, but it I found ways to really calm down so it hasn't been bad and I think like I'm I have a really strong support social network my friends um my therapist which I can talk about a little bit later that um has really helped me along the way um so Rosa how about you how did you approach mental health growing up and was it something that was discussed in your family
1: well I think mental health in itself for example going to therapists and stuff like that wasn't really discussing my family because we don't really see that approach per se. Like, for example, you know, back in the day, my grandparents in Peru were having a hard time enough to make ends meet. So, you know, thinking about mental health and all of those things wasn't really something that they have the time for. In a way, I wasn't like a luxury, you know? And I mean, not to say it's a luxury, but you know, when you're hungry, that's your first thing. It's kind of like the pyramid of needs, right? And when you don't have the basics, that's pretty much all you can think of, so obviously, as my family went progressing and had more things, and yes, uh, we talk about more things like that, but I wouldn't say that it's like a mental health con- uh, in a mental health context like we just for example, after eating, we'll sit down, we'll talk about you know politics or issues and stuff like that, and everybody will have a say. And we're just very much like very, we, we have a, I guess because we have, we're indigenous, we have a very collective, more of a holistic way of seeing things. So we'll take decisions as a whole and everything will be, every topic will be discussed. So for example, one of my cousins is feeling a certain way or wants to change the schools or something like that. We just all talk about it. So I remember there was a lot of talking about emotions and kind of, kind of processing two things and gave me the tools to kind of process my emotions by myself kind of like why there's a root for the feelings that I have and that's okay and it made me feel that it's okay to feel a certain way but it's not okay to lash out and so they gave me the tools that I need to work on through my emotions right so I I do think that Maybe it wasn't, you know, um, frame as mental health, but it was more like family talks and stuff like that. But I think that did help me a lot.
0: Yeah, thanks for sharing that, Rosa. Um, in retrospect, I think in terms, like comparatively to other Asian families, I think because I'm an only child, um, I was able to have like open conversations with my parents when I was younger. Um, but I don't know, I think like, Uh, the solutions that my parents gave me were very like generic like so for instance it's like oh I went through a problem their answer might be oh it's okay like everything will be fine Uh, everything will be will get better you don't have to worry about it and I think that's like I guess how I approached my like problems I just was like oh yeah like something good would happen and then everything will be fine um I also do agree though like yeah my My parents didn't have the luxury to think about things like this, right, Um, because they just had other things they had to worry about, like keeping up with their own business. Um, So these are all like great points that you definitely brought up there.
1: I I think it's also that the immigrant experience, right, for Mm -hmm. us, just our parents cannot relate to us. And that's such a hard concept to even think about, you know, like they have not lived the lives that we have as minorities in another country, you know, like they have lived they every single thing that we have gone through. They have not, you know, but like other places like, for example, people that have not lived the minority experience, uh, they don't understand what it is to, you know, like my friends who has or maybe like, I mean, I would say immigrant because first, second generation, I mean, I guess it's different for them. I wasn't born in the States, so I'm not even first generation, but I moved to the United States when I was young enough. So my parents cannot say, you know, oh, uh, when I went to high school, it was like this. I felt this way. Every single thing that I'm experiencing is new, right? And I felt like all my other friends have more guidance because their parents actually lived in the same town, right? Like maybe 10 years, like 20 years before, but they actually had the same environment. So it was harder to relate to, like we couldn't relate to each other, right? It's, it was harder to take even their advice because I was like, the life that you were talking about, it has nothing to do with my life now. So I don't even know what you're talking about, right? So I think that's also another layer of complexity that we have to deal with.
0: I definitely agree. I think, especially with immigrant families, for me, I have just, I'm trying to acknowledge and understand that there will not be a time where I could find common ground in terms of understanding for my parents. Because to your point, they are coming from a different background, the ways they've coped with their own problems and their challenges has been so different that's what they grew up with that's the habit and so i can't expect them to change their way of thinking instantly right it's kind of a a long-term process i think right now i'm like tackling with that understanding and also trying to find a middle ground um to make me feel at peace with with myself and my challenges and then how they could contribute to that process So let's pivot a little bit and think about um, how do we learn to take care of ourselves and tackle mental health as an adult?
1: Okay, so I guess I'll go first. Um, I started seeing a therapist since I was very young because when my parents got divorced, we saw one. And since then, it was kind of like a staple for us. And I do recommend having a therapist. Everybody should have one. I think it's really good it's one thing to talk to your friends and it's perfect, but therapists are, you know, they're professionals and they're there to help you kind of unravel your thoughts, right? And make them more, um, so you are able to do things with your thoughts, right? So you're able to kind of process something that happened and hopefully move on from it. And if not, learn from it or learn to live with it, right? Um, so Emily knows that I'm very I'm very open about talking about the things that I learned from my therapist. Sometimes I take those things, sometimes I don't, and trying to, and still work in progress. Um, I think in college was another time that I re- deeply rely deli- rely on a therapist. My first year of college was hard. I was in a long distance relationship, so I went to a the therapist a lot, and he really helped me. Um, to just go through you know, my feelings of being far from my family and stuff like that. And I needed to process that, the feeling of guilt for leaving per se, right? And later on, like nowadays, like to SAP and stuff, like I get to talk to a therapist weekly. And I think that's good because it has helped me kind of, I don't um. Kind of work through my thoughts and my feelings because I'm I have Asperger's so it's really hard for me to to kind of tell how people are feeling right I I cannot read a room and if you meet me at first you know that you are you will never even guess but it's because I'm really good at mimicking what other people are doing so right so if everybody's laughing I just laugh kind of thing but. It has been something that it has caused me a lot of uh, grief to learn how to read a room. And I have said things that have been very hurtful to people just because I don't even know that they were hurtful. So I have always tried to um, improve the way that, I, that I'm able to kind of deal with others. So that has been my biggest issue, my relationship with other people. And... How to process the emotions that I feel, and how, because sometimes I read the room wrong and stuff like that. So, I've been working on that. What about you, Emily?
0: Yeah, Rosa, thanks for sharing that piece about yourself. Um, I think for me, I actually haven't started seeing a therapist until recently. Um, so I started in January, and before then, I actually only seen another therapist once. Um, and so how that that last uh history became was so I was in still working in media agencies and I think I just experienced like a lot of levels of stress but to the point where I wasn't even aware of my own stress um so there was a point where when I decided to quit um and I was looking for kind of that new opportunity that was honestly the darkest six months of my life I think like in because I've just tied success to getting good grades, getting the right job, right? Like making a lot of money to be a person where I had none of that, right? I had no direction. I ended up at home. And there were just a lot of things that like I couldn't control. And I think day in, day out, during those six months, I honestly regretted and hated myself because I was like, why did you make this dumb decision? of quitting your last job and that was just like a big mark of like failure like I failed in life and so I remember during one of those times um I made a really dumb decision and I had just really dark thoughts um to the point where it almost happened and so I think after that um was when I decided that it really would be helpful for me to seek therapy and so from that, um I had a therapist, uh but unfortunately it really was only two times that I met with her. So just for context, um those thoughts did happen. I finally got a new job and then after that new job, I was talking to my coworkers, and he recommended a therapist that he was seeing. Um, and by that point, I think I like went past my dark days, so I thought I was feeling fine. But I think some of the anxiety came back. And so when I was talking to my therapist, I was at a good point. And then I only saw her twice because one, therapy is hell expensive. I think uh, I had to pay around like a hundred plus for one session. And then number two, I felt like I told her all my Kind of challenges at that point in time and then i felt fine afterwards so i stopped um, after two sessions of therapy during that time and so the second time actually was was most recently in january and how that happened was um, our organization during that time let us know that we were going to be virtual for a while and i think that gave me a lot of anxiety because i was going to be staying at home and um, my dad's health wasn't the greatest so all that combined um, actually led me to have a panic attack and after that i figured like i really need to actually get a therapist and have it be consistent so in january um, through a recommendation from our organization social worker um, i'm currently seeing a therapist i see her once every two weeks and i think for me finding a therapist is And I think for me, talking to a therapist really just allows you to be able to rationalize and talk through your thoughts and also name certain things. Um, So it's been going well, but there's definitely still a lot of things I still have to talk to her about.
1: I was just going to say about this topic about mental health being so pricey, I mean, therapists being pricey, I think that that's something that is kind of like a gatekeeper in the United States for anything that has to do with health, because just not having universal health care is just freaking the worst, so I would say and that there are a lot of books uh out there for you I mean I'm not saying that that is could is as good as therapy, but it's something that can help you and I can list how we can add a list to all of the books that actually I read a lot of books on on emotions and processing emotions because I think a lot of times. When your therapist tells you something, at least me and a stubborn and a rebel with all costs, she can say it to me and I will just, you know, like take it for face value, like whatever, you don't know me, you know, especially having like a, a old German lady talking to me and just like sometimes like, yo, you don't know me. You don't know my life. You don't know anything about me. Sometimes I just get annoyed at her, you know, so I do need sometimes to read books to kind of get there myself. <laughs> kind of like a double whammy of uh therapy per se so i would I'm, I'm gonna add those books we can add those books here so you can read them and i mean if you guys have any suggestions let us know because i think therapy therapy books are very like a very good tool when you don't have the money to you know uh, go see a therapist like untame is amazing and it's just a way to kind of channel your emotions in a positive way and to kind of teach yourself, right? Because we all have different pace of going through things. So I think this is so important to say that maybe you, maybe you don't even like therapists. Maybe you have an access to therapy, but you don't, you don't see the value of it and that's fine. You know, as long as you maybe want to read something or can address your issues because like you said, it can just be one thing that triggers you, right? Like for example, I for me, like I was good in this quarantine. Like working from home for me is perfect. Like I love working from home because I program so I don't want people coming into me and asking me dumb questions. But at the beginning of the year, um uh, my grandma got really sick and I was the last person to know because all of my family mostly lives in Peru and then the rest very few in the United States and then me here and I just felt so isolated and lo- and so alone from my family because I was the last person to know and I just held on to that feeling of loneliness for way too long and I think that's one of the main like I was researching that that's one of the main topics of like uh, health problems in the United States right anxiety depression and one of the triggers of depression is loneliness because we live in a, in the world where we don't interact with people that much, right? And just the really, like that really two days that I felt so far away from my family where when everybody was dealing with my grandma and I was so far away and I couldn't even give a plane to go because there was no planes that would go direct Paris, Lima. It was awful, right? And I just held on to that. And sometimes you hold on to these things and you don't process them. And they will bury you if you don't, right? So I think it's necessary to try to process your emotions, maybe therapy or books, however way you can. So that's why another way to make a set way for that is that a good way to, to process those things, having mental health discussions with your friends or your family do you have Do you talk a lot about those these topics um Emily to others?
0: yeah, so since I'm an only child, I think like growing up, I value a lot of my friendships, and so through these friendships I think i've I've been able to build very trusting relationships where we really talk about you know things that are going on a day to day basis and things we're feeling. Um, in particular, I have a best friend, uh, she's been mentioned many times before, Pamita, uh, that I really just confide on her with and just talk about my feelings. I remember there were times where I just wasn't feeling so great, but um, fortunately, she was available in the air to always like talk it through. So yeah, I think like with these mental health discussions, it's, it's also hard in a way because I feel like there's times when you do talk to your friends and they're going through so many things. As a person that's listening, it's sometimes hard for me to be able to um, give them solutions in a way that I don't want to just say like, oh, you can just do this, right? Like for me, I try to be that type of person where I tell them I'm here to listen. You know, I'm here to affirm how you're feeling. Um, And I think like to the points where I feel like my friend – might actually require some professional help. I, you know, slightly encourage and recommend them to see if they can reach out to different therapists in their network. Um, fortunately, I think for the United States there are like mental health hotlines, especially with everything going on in COVID. Um, so, if any of our listeners are going through things, I highly recommend you know tapping into those free hotlines. And again, we'll list them in the podcast description. Um, actually recently I've, I just read this article um, basically there's now a three-digit number for the U.S. suicide prevention hotline um, that's coming by 2022 so hopefully that's also another resource uh, for all of us that really can't afford therapy um, and how about you Rosa
1: how, how have you had any like mental health discussions with your friends well you know me I'm a Pisces I know I bring this up all the time, but I do very much talk openly about all of my mental health struggles. I think I, I have very deep connections with everyone that I'm friends with and I am very unguarded, as you know. I, have, I try because I have realized sometimes too that I just unload on people just unexpectedly because that's also a problem that I need to work on and zero or a hundred, you know. I'm really okay or I'm like, on the deepest, darkest, darkest level of despair. So, I try now to be more um, considerate. And every time I have something to say, I just like, wait, hold up a second. Do you have the mental capacity to hear this, right? Like, you know, PSA. <laughs> can you can you deal with it? Like, because it's it's true. Like, especially we're all going through this pandemic. So it's really important to just not unload on people, right? So I I try to be, um, uh, what's it called, like, I try to be considerate and thoughtful about that. And also, I feel like because of the way I am, I feel like people, really, most of my friends feel that I am a person that they confide in. And I have a lot of my friends that reach out to me to talk to me about stuff. And I always feel so honored when they do because I, under, I see them and they see me and it, it's it's really nice to feel seen. I know maybe it sounds too, you know, like spiritual or whatever, but it's really nice to to know that people really that see that they can rely on you, right? That they that they uh, think that you are a good source of not only advice but just to be there, like a shoulder to cry on. So yes, I talk about mental health a lot I'm very big on self-care to like I talk about self-care all the time and all about my bubbles and baths and and my crystals and stuff like that because I really think it's very important to keep that high energy
0: yeah Rosa you're I remember at the time when I was going through a breakup you were the one that gave me all that amazing relationship advice <laughs>
1: Yay, I know he's here for you.
0: When talking about self-care, I feel like the idea of self-care honestly has been so commercialized as of late, right? Self-care requires you to buy something. Self-care requires you to drink a lot, eat out, you know, spend shopping and all these things, but... I like to also think about self-care in the way of like, what are the things you are doing for yourself that's more like internal reflection um, about how you're feeling? Um, you know, what are the things or habits you can change in your life um, that could actually change the mindset or
1: the, the, the thought process that you have now? I'm so happy that you brought that up too because I feel like, yes, uh, because we live in a capitalist society, everything is turned to make money, right? So even something as beautiful as self-care has turned into, oh, get the latest bath salts and get these laters and get, bye, bye. But it's true. It can just be meditation, right? It doesn't even have to be buying yourself anything. It can just be having a moment to yourself because actually sometimes we live in in a bubble, we're always running around. We don't give ourselves time to even think. So yes, trying to take out the money out of self-care is very important too.
0: Uh, yeah, I totally agree. Um, so now we can switch it up a little bit also in terms of, I know we mentioned about books and therapy, but um, thinking about what other resources we've tapped into our, our mental health journey um, and how that journey like came into play. Um, so I can start first. I think in terms of the mental health journey, I think finding the right therapist is really important. Um, but to be honest, especially during this time, it's kind of hard to find the right therapist, especially if they you're just doing e-therapy. So just like logging online and talking to that person. Um, but I think for the long-term, like after all this pandemic ends, being able to find the right therapist is really important. And for me, I really value a therapist that's a person of color, to be honest, because I find, yeah, I find that when I talked to the a therapist before she was white, a lot of the things I said had so much cultural nuances. Um, but when she repeated back to me, it kind of came with a, a little bit of like, why? Like, I don't understand why, you know, like, that's not what she said, particularly, but that was the tone beneath it. And I think I, I want a therapist that I don't have to explain myself to that they'll understand like the reasoning without me having to like go into the, all the detail. Um, so yeah, if our, like listeners who are, are listening in, if you are experiencing, if you are like looking for a therapist, figuring out like what are your non-negotiables and what do I ideally want in a therapist? And there's obviously like, a lot of resources online to uh, get you uh, where you want to be and so I'll also link specifically for me like Asian American therapists in the network too um, right now uh, my therapist is, is black but she's able to really connect with me um, and I know it's only been three or four sessions uh, but I really hope that we can develop that relationship
1: uh, how about you Rosa well I read a lot and I meditate a lot and besides that I think that is always good. I mean, for example, I, I, like I said before, I consume an incredible amount of YouTube videos. So I actually watch a lot of YouTubers that talk about self-care and kind of self-improvement and all of that. My favorite is New Mindframe. So shout out to her. And she uh, she talks about a lot about that because... It's not even like, okay, so it's mental health is not only when you're having like a depressive episode or an anxiety attack, right? It should be something that you're, it's always like something that you always practice, right? It's kind of like a water, a plant that you always need to water. So she talks a lot about kind of like uncovering maybe past traumas that you had or kind of dealing with things that you kind of have buried, you know, um, because I am the kind of person that I always forget bad things like I cannot remember. Like you can tell me like, oh, remember that one time that we almost got arrested and ice cream? But can you remember? And I will be like, no, <laughs> I just forget. So it's good to, I mean, I really find her very helpful to watch those uh, those videos to kind of work on myself. So definitely YouTube. I will add the links of the um, of the YouTubers that I watch. Books are very important too because you can just take your time and you know read through them and kind of assess yourself on the way and like you said finding the right therapist is important like for me for example like I want a therapist who speaks English in France so it's very hard because I feel like language is very important and English is a language I think I can express my feelings best sometimes when you try to speak other languages at least when you're multilingual it's, it's hard to kind of get your point across in other languages. I don't think as I am as witty <laughs> in other languages. So it's also very important to find someone that is in the language that you are comfortable with. So I would look for some in Spanish. In I think that there's a couple in Spanish in Miami. So I will put that link too, because that's important. If you feel more comfortable speaking Spanish, for example finding someone that i you can talk to in spanish is very important too compared to previous generations i feel like millennials are more comfortable speaking about mental health which is very important and we have kind of destigmatized just speaking openly about all oh, my therapist said you know and that's very good i mean there's still a lot of you know work to do on that regard but i mean for example like 13 reasons why was super popular with and. And, I, you know, like, it was also very, very controversial. I didn't watch it at all because of the controversy. I just didn't want to go to that. I know that there were some scenes that I didn't want to watch particularly. So I didn't watch it. But I think that because I have so many conversations about 13 Reasons Why, um, just because the fact that they're making, you know, shows about mental health is putting the topic out there, right? Maybe they're not doing it right, but at least the topic is out there. So I think that the fact that we are talking more and more about it and the generation after us, they're even more open. So I think this is something good that it has opened the front gates of what it could be, right? Because I feel like in our parents' generation, just talking about these things wasn't done. People weren't open about having depression or taking pills for anxiety or ocd um but we have pretty much just stigmatized it and that's how it should be because it's okay we're all we're all going to life together and there's times that you need an extra help i agree rosa i especially when you think about in
0: high school mental health was not anything you talked about like in class right you have you have your like guidance counselor but they just talk to you about how to get into the right college um so i agree and then the only type of like um real education like real life education we had was like sex ed but not mental health for sure i think it's great that we're really embracing it nowadays just speaking from a professional standpoint because i work in education i'm so glad that like with the conversations with our partners a lot of the students in like our focus groups talk about the importance of like Be able to talk about mental health and figure out like stress management strategies. Um, So that's something that like we actively talk to our partners about and also include in our curriculum. So all things like that, like they're included in like workshops for high school and college students um, and they're having those open conversations, whether on social media or with their friends is so helpful. So let's also talk about um in terms of our generation, right? Cuz we're millennials. Um what are some reasons why we might have
1: become the most anxious generation, Rosa? I think it's because we're fucked. <laughs> no, but I mean seriously, uh, most of us had been in a depression forever. Like I mean economic depression, right? Like we got out of we got into college or got out of college during 2008. And so we lived through 9/11. There's so many dramatic experiences that we have that had happened, and that, and I'm not taking away from what has happened, the experiences of those before us. Before us, but before we had that dream, that American dream, right? That was still accessible to Americans. We were still able to say, "Well, if I work hard, I will eventually buy a, a house." But nowadays. You know, the only way I'm ever going to buy a house is in Animal Crossing. So that's why I pray a lot. But it's honest. It's an honest take on what's going on. I feel like a lot of us are kind of, you know, disillusioned by the the world that our parents had given us. And that's why. And we have only the tools that they've given us. So it's kind of like we're stuck in this no-win situation. So I think that's why we're depressed and anxious. Because... We're anxious for the future that is so uncertain and we're depressed because we know that we're drowning in debt. So I think that's one of the reasons why. What do you think?
0: Yeah, Rosa, I definitely agree. And so to give some context for our listeners, um, the American Psychology Association reported that millennials are the most stressed generation. So that's the kind of generalization that we made. Um, And I also agree. I think it comes a lot with we were born um, with being able to, like, the idea that we're like, we can go outside and and interact, but then we also born in the year where technology boomed, right? And so I think um, a lot of the stress comes from the idea of the workplace. It's it's a 24-hour workplace. You have a separate work phone, uh, aside from your regular phone, because you're supposed or expected to answer emails and things like that, like, at any hours of the day. I think especially it's very obvious technology is a huge factor, right? Um, We're spending so much time on our phones or our tablets that to your point, Rosa, that level of loneliness has actually tripled or, you know, increased over such a long amount of time because you're not really interacting with humans. Like humans are born to interact with one another. But nowadays we have, we see teens, we see like millennials interacting with their phones. Like that's their best friend. Um, so I I agree with just a lot of the things that are happening right now. And to your last point about money, it's just especially if you live in a hard, especially if you live in a huge city, it's just so hard to be able to understand like how much you're making now, what that can that actually afford you in terms of your future. And then especially with the political climate and climate change and all these things that are happening like. What is our future going to look like for our children? So, I think millennials, people like us, think about
1: these all the time and it's just contributed to everything that is going on. What children, Emily? Like, what children? Plants are the new pets. Pets are the new children. Let, let us say, you know? Like, you know, I was talking to my friend about retirement plans. And I was like, my retirement plans is to die in the revolution. <laughs> I was just like, I don't know, man. I guess I will work until I drop. I have no idea. But um, I think that's it, like the uncertainty and stuff like that. But I also, I have to give it out for us millennials because we have gone through so much and yet we still make fun of everything, you know? We created memes and we try to, you know, kind of like gets the catharsis out of these bad situations that we're in you know we're still make trying to make light of all of our problems so we're troopers we're still fighting in there
0: (laughs) i agree but i also feel like gen z and boomers both hate us for no apparent reason i guess it's because they assume that all we care about are our our
1: avocado sandwiches and (laughs) our starbucks lattes you know age thing because like I feel like most of the older people still see us millennials as we're partying in college and most of us are already you know left college doing other things like we're older than they think we are but whatever I mean what can I say I feel like there's always like a different mentality between the different ages because we experience life differently obviously but tying it back to mental health I really think that our generation has experienced a lot and that's why we have, I hope that we have, that we will open the the gateways. So people that come after us feel that it's okay to share their emotions. You know, I like this whole, like, and I want to, you know, kind of stretch the whole mental health, um, you know, umbrella per se and say like all of this, like what is masculinity? What is femininity? you know like gender doesn't have to be a binary like we can we're kind of like you know breaking all of this you know status quo in many different ways and I guess that way that the way that we're doing it is good because it's allowing people to feel more included right and that in a way fights loneliness if you really feel like you cannot relate to anyone in society then obviously you're going to feel alone you're going to feel depressed you know Transgenders have transgender people have a really high numbers of uh, you know peop- uh, what's it called a violence done against them and if if we're able to have like we need to protect them right and so we we need to make it okay like make the next generation see that it is fine and it's normal. So the more that we are able to include people then the more people are gonna feel less lonely. So I think that we're doing we're trying to set that groundwork running and hopefully we could continue doing this. So thanks
0: everyone for listening in. Um I hope you were able to get a little snippet about our own mental health journeys. Um, as well as get some resources that we've mentioned. Again, we're going to put it in our podcast notes. Um, I also hope you were able to kind of reflect on why millennials these days are having such uh, stressors in their life. If you have any comments, thoughts, concerns, or questions, again, feel free to message us. Um, And so from that note, we'll see you in the next episode. Bye. Bye. Bye.